You'll never believe it, but I think I have the solution. The problem is somehow to get rid of this tunnel dirt over the compound. Well, of course. Would you mind? Now, you fill these bags with the dirt from the tunnel. Then, wearing them inside your trousers, you wander out into the compound where you pull these strings in your pockets. Out come the pins. Eric, it's good. All you have to do is kick it in. You're a bright young man. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're not getting out, you're just getting in. You're only getting started. I've every faith in you. And one day in the future, it'll be you sitting here in my place, telling some young Turk the facts of life. And they are, Mr. Temple. You're born, you take shit. Get out in the world, you take more shit. Climb a little higher, take less shit. Till one day you're up in the rarefied atmosphere and you've forgotten what shit even looks like. Welcome to the layer cake, son. Chris Galsey here with Matt Howell. And this week in the big show, I should say on the first run, Matt, you know, in podcast professionalism, you're supposed to name your show like in the first few seconds when you talk about it. Wow. We, I wish we had learned that like 10 years ago. I usually do. I say this week on the first run, sure. but I thought I'd spice things up and go on the big show, but I shouldn't. That was unprofessional of me and I've already ruined the introduction. <laughs> Folks, it's going to be a bit of a live show again, scheduling issues. We're going to be recording this, dropping it basically. So enjoy the ums and ahs showcase. All you've ever wanted and more on this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to take on a couple of horrific nightmares, Matt. First out of the gate, we're going to deal with an Indian demon who torments your soul so it's nice and ripe for consumption in It Lives Inside. Then Hulu brings us the great alien monster movie we've been waiting for, maybe, with No One Will Save You. But it doesn't end there. Oh, no, because Matt and I are going to react to the IMAX 4K remastered release of Talking Heads' seminal concert film, Stop Making Sense. There's a life-altering rundown of the big releases on physical media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And the close thing out... Oh, I was so close to nailing it. To close things out, Matt and I are going to share our five favorite live albums. Will they be all Bowie albums for me? And will they be all Dave Matthews Band albums for Matt? <laughs> I have a guess that it's going to be 50% Queen, 50% Dave Bowie on your list. <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. I like to switch things up, though, because you and I are both big music fans as well, mm -hmm. but we rarely ever talk about it, so I thought it was a nice way for me to shoehorn that in this week. Yeah, so. that's good. We are big music fans. It's one of the things we have in common, but 
we don't like the same bands for the most part. So that's that's again worlds apart. Our tastes are now that might be maybe we should do that if you want arguments or <laughs> then you'll you let's having us discuss different music albums might be the mm-hmm. way to go. It probably is. Probably. Though is. I like I like indie kind of guitar band stuff, right? You're into that, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I am. It's just that like you're. Even the bands that we like, we like you like different songs on the album than I do. You're like, oh, like listen to this one. I'm like, yeah, that one's okay, but I like this one. You're like, eh, it's all right. Oh, we're going to have to do that. Yeah. Let's pick an album and do a one-off sometime. When we can pocket it that way if we're going to be away or we have some scheduling issues, we can just load it up. You know what? That's a genius idea. Look at me. Let's stop wasting time. It's going to be a long one anyway, Matt. Let's take a few minutes and listen. A few minutes. Let's take about 30, 40 seconds and listen to a clip from It Lives Inside. What's going on with you? There's a monster in here. It's it's all it's all the stories that the ones we heard growing up they're 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 true they're all true they're such a psycho no please send me that I can't do this please So Matt, I have two things I got to get out of the way here. First off, I didn't realize there was a beep, but I didn't put that in there. That was actually mm-hmm. from the clip I pulled. I clearly didn't listen to the whole thing. So don't worry. You can swear to your heart's content. Okay. Two, in case you're wondering, there's a little demon type thing trapped in a jar and her friend Sam there slaps it out of her hand and it shatters and that's how the demon gets out. That's if you're mm-hmm. wondering what that sound was. Yeah. Matt, what is It Lives Inside all about? So... Samita, who goes by Sam, is a teenager in a suburb of the U.S. She is a second-generation immigrant of Indian parents. And she's just trying to fit in to American culture, trying to distance herself a bit from her Indian heritage. And she, as part of that, she's distanced herself from her ex-best friend, Tamira, who approaches her in school one day and says, inside this jar is a hungry monster and she has to keep feeding it and she tries to get sam's help but sam wants nothing to do with it the jar breaks and releases whatever lived inside out into the world there you go matt no i've on the record numerous times and by the way i should point out matt it is pumpkin ale season oh fantastic (laughs) i am very excited i don't drink that much anymore but uh i did pick up a sixer of the shipyard pumpkin heads and i will make work my way through that over the next two to three months. <laughs> <laughs> two to three months? Wow. So, uh, yeah, I'm I just I slowed down. Not me neither. I don't really drink that much anymore. I've gotten boring. So, exactly. So, Matt, I'm on the record a few times, I think even lately, saying that I want to explore other cultures' horror tropes. Not tropes, but horror, demons, monsters, whatever. I want to get my hands on this stuff. I'm tired of seeing all the same stuff I've been seeing for years. So, I finally got it, Matt. And did it pay off? Was it worth the wait for me here? I don't I I don't know that's a tough question I think it paid off in the sense that it's an entertaining horror movie I do like how 
you know, we work on a different monster, but I, I think I struggle with it because this monster doesn't really seem to take center stage, or at least the legend of what the Pashka is, and mm-hmm. they don't get into a lot of that background, right? So it's more focused on this girl's story and how she's trying to balance her heritage versus, you know, where she lives now. And that seems to be the element of the story, which is fine for a story. But as far as a glimpse into another culture's monsters, I don't think it really hits the mark because you really don't get any of that until the very near the very end. Yeah. I think I'm inclined to agree with you that too. I was a little disappointed by that. I think, her mom kind of ratchets that up and gives us the information we're we're needed about the cultural history of of the demon monster thing, and it's it's fine. It's interesting. I think one of the things initially I, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of weird. But again, it's it's the culture, so that's why I was like, oh, I guess that's interesting, and I respect that. Is they basically make it a meal to summon the demon to their house, and there's like a scene, like a, a montage scene, basically of them cooking. Everything yeah. right, and I right. and I have to admit, and this is probably my cultural uh, bias. I do not care for Indian food generally. Mm. I just I'm not a curry guy in any capacity either. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff, I'm like, I like garbanzo beans, hummus, sure, sign me yeah. up. But a lot of those plated items did not really appeal to me. Well, here's the thing: I never really liked it either until I went there, and then I developed a real taste for it. But it's surprising to me, especially as a vegan. There's such there's so many vegetarian and vegan dishes that it seems like a cuisine that I think you should give a chance because I'm guaranteeing you'll something you'll try will click and you will love it. You know what? I'm always on the lookout for new uh, meals, so I, I will definitely try that. Then, Matt, I will give that a shot. I appreciate that push there. So. I like. I think the problem I have with this film too is that I think the director he also wrote and directed and can split half the story within the she's meta. Uh, Vishal Duda. He he's telling a story right. Also, not about just a straight horror film because, like we say, horror films the best ones are always about something else. And using this horror film to kind of discuss and show us kind of the immigrant experience and the cultural divides that happen when people come to you know from another country. And about what you do about assimilation and respecting your own culture while trying to blend in, right? Especially if you're in high school and that kind of peer pressure. It's got to be really difficult for a child. I think that's really an interesting story. I just, I almost feel he's focused too much on the social commentary. And then he, the undergirding or the the slab that this house is built on, unfortunately, is mostly just kind of horror cliches. Mm-hmm. It's a monster. I think that looks cool. When we do see it, and it has some invisible parts, and I think it does a good job of of teasing us out with the little reveals of what it actually looks like. And in the end, I think it comes close to rubber suit monster bad guy. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, I think it's okay. But the also film has a really almost, I don't know if this is a contradiction, a palpable lack of intensity. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's also a lack of scares, really. And I don't know if it's because it's a PG-13 rating we're dealing with, which I wouldn't think because I've seen some terrifying PG-13 films. Uh, I think maybe it's more that it's just a little too formulaic. It's not a bad film. And I'm interested to see what Duda does next. I think he there's some promise here. He just got to tighten the bolts down a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think there's nothing really groundbreaking here. I think this is definitely wearing a lot of the influences of the language of horror on its sleeve. And it's mm-hmm. not really giving you anything new. It's not like it's poorly done, 
but it's it's stuff you've all seen before, especially if you've seen a lot of horror movies. I agree with you that it's not particularly scary or intense. Like, it doesn't have a lot of tension, as you said, or suspense. I almost think that it's more interesting when you can't see the monster. Like, when yeah. it does show up, it did kind of, and I hate to say this, but it, it did have a very kind of Shudder original vibe at the end of that, you know, mm. when the, the thing comes around. I think there's a decent foundation here, and I hope he does well enough with this to get another shot. I just think he had some lessons to learn and we'll see what the next one brings. If he gets another opportunity. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. And I would say too, once the credits started rolling, I actually sat through the whole credits. So I was curious about this because when, when the title card or the end of it comes up and I go, you know what? This film has the bacony stink of Canada all over it. (laughs) And sure enough, at the very end, we want to thank Canada for the other day. And I'm like, I knew it. There's just something, there's just some things you can just get that feel for, and you can kind of tell right away. But in the end, Matt, I'm giving it lives inside a C. Yeah, I think um, I think I like that a little bit better. I'm gonna give it a C plus. I think okay. there's enough there that works that elevates it a little bit, but. Just keep bringing it on. I want this new cultural stuff for me. I want to be exposed to this stuff. There's just a, a wealth of, of lore and legends and stories that can be mined for horror films. And let's keep rolling. So I'd, I'd love to see it. What would be an interesting marathon is if we maybe picked a handful of countries or a region and like actually found, see if they have their own horror movies that are made in that country that may kind of work off of some of that lore. Oh, I'm sure they do. Like there's that whole, what was that one we did? Was the the Indian film? Was it the Indian film? Is it Indian? Oh, I'm blanking now. I know it's an Asian film. It's the it's the monster where the head separates from the body, and you can still see a little bit of the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it's not. Was Indian. it Thailand? Thai. Yeah, I think it's a Thai. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're. Yeah. There's one called Mystics of Bali that I've always wanted to see that features that same. Is it Haragusa? What's the name of the monster? It's something like that, right? Yeah, I don't remember, but I, I know what you're remember. talking about. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, we could, yeah, we should do that. We should maybe for another for a marathon next year, we can pick a country, pick a country, and then run through kind of its like find out what its classic or you know horror films are, and then just do a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's like that. I can make I can manifest it myself, Matt. I can make it happen by actually watching those films. That's a, <laughs> instead of being the the dumb lazy American demanding everything be brought to me. Exactly, you're learning the wrong lessons, Chris. It Lives Inside is currently playing in theaters now, released against uh, Expendables 4, which we did not see, which I hear is terrible. Shocking. So, I don't know. I'm sure I'll catch up with it at some point. What else am I going to do with my life? What have you, if you've seen It Lives Inside, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Just an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, I can't decide. What should we do? Should we talk about... You know what? Let's do Stop Making Sense. Does that sound good to you? That works for me. All right. Let's do that right now. Coming up next, Stop Making Sense, featuring David Byrne and the anti-authoritarian Talking Heads. Stop making sense. Uh, I got some classic Ebert for you there when him and Siskel discussed Stop Making Sense, the seminal, I said it again, um, Rocky Men, not documentary, but a concert film. Yeah. About the Talking Heads. Matt, I got to tell you, I saw this on VHS, rented it as a wee lad, and then I watched it about, was it a year ago? When, two years ago, when I think it was on the Criterion Channel, and I'm like, man, this still works. This thing, 
this thing has some has some rhythm. It's got some hum to it. It's got this energy to it. It's good. And then, Matt, we decided to watch it in the 4K restoration from A24 in IMAX. And, Matt, it was like watching it for the first time. It was exhilarating. I was dancing in my seat. And I absolutely just brought back to that original VHS. And it was a wonderful, life-affirming, filled-me-with-joy experience. What about you, Matt? I'm a casual Talking Heads fan. I had never actually seen this, so I'm not a huge fan of concert films in general. Neither am I. But this was an experience. I'm really glad we got to check it out. I think, you know, the songs are all, you know, they play a lot of their hits, a lot of the songs that you're going to know, but arranged in a different way. And I just like the kind of progression of it. Like, it starts off with David Byrne by himself, and then it kind of increases a little bit more of the band, a little bit more of the band until it all kind of at one point at the end of it, you've got like nine people on stage, you know, kind of presenting this performance and it's just breathless. I mean, it's all stitched together from three separate performances, but the way they do it is there's no break between any of the songs. It's just one thing after another and after another. And then the next thing you know, it's over and it's almost kind of sad to see it go. Yeah. When it ended, I was like, ah, I just wanted to keep going again and again. So this is um, is it one of the first films by Jonathan Demme, too? I believe it is. I think it is, yeah. So uh, just what, man, talk about busting out of the gate. But I'll say, too, and maybe this will come up later on in our discussion at the final segment of the show. There are some songs in here that I actually prefer the live versions than I do the studio takes. And that's mm. very rare for me. Like, Matt, I do not typically care for live albums. If I find one I like, then I love it and I stick with it. Generally, I'm not a fan. I'll tell you, I hate live albums on vinyl because it just the having to get up like three times or whatever to turn your record <laughs> over to hear three songs. It's just it frustrates me, and I won't do it. I rarely. I think I bought like two live albums on vinyl in my entire life. So, regardless, Matt, it's, it's just bursting at the seams with joy and love. Never mind the cardio. And just like you said, as each musician comes in, and I think it really, was it really blow up is probably with what? Burning down the house, I think is, but it just accelerates every time, right? And with Slippery People kicks in and then Burning Down the House, I think is when it blows up in life during wartime. Swamp is one of the ones. Swamp in Heaven, I really prefer the live versions mm-hmm. uh, from this. And of course, uh, This Must Be the Place, which is one of my favorite songs, uh, is, is just a wonderful live version as well. And uh, I was mostly a Talking Heads greatest hits guy for most of my life. Yeah. And then about five years ago, I think I started to really dive into the the catalog. And um, they're fantastic. And I will say, too, you'd think I would have gotten into it ahead of time, me being the art geek nerd that I am. I love my art rock. And I will say Apple Music has the Dolby Atmos mixes of these albums. And I've listened mm-hmm. to three of the albums so far in that and they're fantastic the Mm -hmm. Dolby Atmos mixes sometimes can be real hit and miss like I think the actually one day I did a tweet thread on the Asia Asia's first album that was an Atmos mix and it's it's all right it's really almost negligible but this sounds great in the Atmos mix so if you're an Apple Music guy or I think if you have Tidal one of the the high res services they have that surround sound version interesting and I know it's mostly just a trick but it still sounds really cool so if you have any of those, you should check them out. Uh, but yeah, no, Matt, it was wonderful. Just a wonderful experience seeing this. It was only five people in my theater, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but I went on a Sunday night at 8.30. Right. 
and uh, but everybody was having a great time. So yeah, I, this experience for me, Matt, was an A plus. Yeah, I have to agree. It's an A plus film. It is the not that I've seen very many of them, but apparently it's I would believe it when they say that this is the yardstick that you measure all other concert films with. Absolutely, Matt. So I, Matt asked me to watch Documentaries Now episode on this, which yeah. I did right before we started the show. And not only do I feel personally attacked, <laughs> I mean, the fact that they were also to the Connecticut School of Art and Design. Yep. yep. There's also a Tom Waits jab like mm-hmm. near the end of it, too, which mm-hmm. I don't quite get. But either way, uh, I, I, didn't, I found it okay. It's okay. fine. You know what it is? I don't, I'm not a Fred Armisen guy. No. I love Documentary Now. I think... As long as Bill Hader is still involved, it's it's fantastic. Those first two seasons are great when Bill Hader's involved, but once he left, it really fell downhill. But I think the best part of that, I really enjoyed that episode. But if you go online, you can find uh, a short, I think it might even have been from IFC, where they played that episode to Chris Wentz and, and Tina Weymouth. And oh, it's really? just interesting to see them like, like when, when Armisen comes out and does the stuff that like burned it, they just kind of shoot each other these looks and just start laughing at each other. Like, like this is like so <laughs> creepily accurate. And then he has this whole story about, there's still a lot of animosity when this thing was filmed between Chris Wentz and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, David Byrne. But like, he's like, David was telling us, you know, he wanted all muted colors. He didn't want any of us to stand out or anything like that. He was really directing how what we could wear. And then what does he show up with? He shows up in this white suit the size of a refrigerator just so he can stand out. But while the rest of us all blend in and our grays in the back. Like just just all this stuff. It was just a little interesting to see the kind of tensions and, and some of the stuff that uh, happened behind the scenes with the talking heads. Yeah, I listen, I love David Byrne. One of my favorite albums is actually one of his solo works, which is a Look Into the Eyeball which is a very kind of Spanish feel to it, the sound to it. But I, I love that album. But he, it's weird how he's able to balance being an absolute pretentious prick, mm-hmm. but still maintain a likability factor. And I think that few people are able to pull that off. But he can't. Yeah, yeah he can. And, and uh, yeah, I know. From what I understand, he was an absolute tyrant when it came to that putting that show on. He was so specific about what he wanted. And that basically it cost, I think it damaged their friendships in, in the band, in the band itself too. Yeah. And I, I saw, um, cause they did a whole bunch of reunion stuff around this do interviews and stuff. And I guess Bernard said too, they, that tour lost money because of everything that they did for that tour. And I, this blows my mind because it's so interesting. It's such an original experience. Uh, it's, I don't know. It, it was great. Anyway, that documentary now episode, if you want to check it out, is on season two, episode five. Mm-hmm. It's called Final Transmission. You can check that out. And Stop Making Sense is still playing in theaters. I believe it's going to carry through into next week as well, though it'll be okay. coming out of the IMAX. So if you want to see an IMAX, if you got to actually, by the time you hear this, it's too late. Never mind. Sorry, folks. <laughs> but there you go, Matt. All right, let's keep rolling then. And let's talk about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday which will be October 3rd. Jesus, it's October already. Your boss is quite a card player, Mr. Kelly. How does he do it? He cheats. Well, in that case, I'll keep my money and we'll just have another game. You don't have any to keep. Here's your wallet. You hired a dame to take it from you. 
Shaw's been planning to beat your game for months. He's just been waiting for you to cheat him so he could clip you. Who do you think you're talking to, Aaron Boy? Nobody sets me up. Take him back to the baggage room. Put one in his ear. Christ's sake, there were four witnesses at that table. Hey, go back. Get another goddamn son of a bitch. We'll dump him in the first tunnel we hit. Doyle, we're going to be in the station in a couple of minutes. Think it'll look too good you killing a guy you owe money to. There's better ways of taking him down. What do you think Shaw would do to me if he knew I was telling you this? Matt, the uh, classic film The Sting is being released for its 50th anniversary in 4K. If you buy this set, you get a film cell, a book, some lobby cards, and a certificate of authenticity. So people know you got a legit copy and not some bootleg from uh, eBay or something. Like a dirty scoundrel would. You a fan of The Sting? You ever seen it? Never seen it, no. It's good. It's very good. I I have it on Blu-ray, but um, yeah, it's great. What else is coming up, Matt? Oh, yeah, that's right. We got numbers, don't we? Let's count them down, baby. Number five. Night of the Demons, Matt, from Scream Factory. You can buy a set of all three individual sets. They have a whole bunch of super duper ones, too, like enamel pins, posters, blah, blah, blah. If you go to Scream Factory site, you can see that. Uh, I love the first Night of the Demons, one of my favorite horror films growing up. Part two, I've seen once. I do not remember it. (laughs) And I have never seen part three. What are your thoughts? Have you ever seen the Night of the Demons films with Angela? I saw the first one. I haven't seen any of the other ones. Okay. First one's it, good. Do you remember it, it being good? I do remember it being good. Yeah, it's it's one of those kind of 80s schlocky classics. It is. So good. And then uh, what's coming up? <laughs> Thank you for that deep cut of one of my favorite uh, lines of all time. You're welcome. Four! Talk to me, which is the uh, big hit. I guess Matt, the scariest film of the past forty thousand years or something like that, that everybody has all worked up over. I shouldn't be so dismissive. We actually both liked it. It just wasn't, you know, the terrifying poo your pants kind of film that I guess mm-hmm. if we had been led to believe it was. If you buy it from Amazon, they have a three disc set, which includes a special making of featurette. There's also a uh, Q and A with the filmmakers and all your commentary featuring them as well. What I mean that them, I mean the writer-director team of Danny and Michael, Philip Powell, uh, featurette and some deleted scenes. I'll be picking up Talk to Me at some point. Um, I think it's, I, I'll, I'll get it at the right price. There is a, is it Umbrella? It's from Australia? Or Eureka? I can't remember. But there is, maybe think, either way, there is a 4K of the hand mm. you can buy. and But it's blank. There's nothing written on it. So you write your own stuff on it. And then A24 actually put out an a-, a replica that actually has all the writing on it, but it's like a diffuser. Okay. So you, you, you put little oils or little candles in it, and you can smoke them, and whatever you kids do, like getting high and stuff, I don't know. <laughs> so I, it's like, well, I don't want a blank one, and I don't want a, like a diffuser one. Right. So I'm not going to get one. And then I, when I thought about getting one, too, I'm like, what am I going to do with this thing? Where am I going to put it? It's a hand for a movie that I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you'll regret that decision. Don't do it. Yeah, no. So I'm not. I'll wait. Well, I'll pick it up for like a $9.99 or $14.99 or $4.99 at some point. You know what? To digress a little bit. You know what I really hate? That Barbarian has not come out in physical media yet. That really drives me crazy. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about one at the bottom of this list or top. Either way. Yeah, I know you're entirely right about that. That's ridiculous. Now, you can find them. There's places that make bootleg blues. In fact, there's a mm-hmm. place around here that does blue does bootleg VHSs. Wow. Of like new films for the VHS fans out there. If you want some information about it, hit me up. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. I, I'll, I'll give you the inside dope, but I don't support it. 
but I don't support it because it's VHS. I don't know why you whack jobs are buying VHS. I, I, the quality is, I, whatever. Don't get me started. All right, Matt, let's keep going. We're running out of time here because there's a timer. Get three coffins ready. Uh-huh. Huh? You're getting the Universal Monsters Volume 2 uh, um, spike outs. What do they call them? They're, all the individuals are being released now in 4K, which includes Phantom of the Opera, Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Bride of Frankenstein, and The Mummy. I'm very excited about this because I did not want to drop 60 bucks or 90 or whatever it is to buy the set because honestly, I don't really care about Phantom of the Opera. And this may be blasphemous. I'm not the biggest fan of Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm. But I'm all about Bride of Frankenstein and The Mummy, which may be my favorite of the Universal Horror films. Really? So I can get these in a uh, a nice 4K little pop-pop. I'm going to get that little poppy-pop. So what about you, Matt? Are you a fan of any of those 4Ks? Or those films Um, in general, I should say? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen The Mummy. Believe it or not. Yeah, I've never seen it. I think the one I liked the best, the one I remember watching the most as a kid, was Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. It's wrong. It's dumb. It's very dumb. I don't understand that. It's fine. It's just very boring. I, 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 it just, yeah. I think it's a cool creature design. And then, honestly, if you watch some of those, like Dracula and the Wolfman, like we found out, they, they have some problems with the structure of the story that really makes it hard to watch as a modern audience. Oh, like when Lon Chaney was like basically, yeah, stalking and sexually assaulting people. <laughs> yeah, and not even just that. Just the way they structure and put everything together is just weird sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, what else we got coming up, Matt? Matt, well, blah, blah. Can't talk anymore. I don't because I'm choking on something in my throat. Looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> you brought two too many. Matt, Criterion is putting out one of my favorite recent finds. I know it's an older film. But I just discovered it about three years ago. I bought it on Blu-ray. It went out of print. But now they somehow got the license back for the 4K release. I don't know. But don't look now. Nicholas Riggs. Just really weird, disturbing film. When Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. When, when their daughter dies, disappears. Something happens. And then they think they see her. And really some crazy, whacked out stuff happens. Brand new 4K restoration. Supervised by the director of photography, Anthony Richmond. Uh, short documentary from 2002 about the film and uh, some other stuff. Basically, all the archival stuff is included in this. But have you ever seen Don't Look Now? I have. It's like one of those things where the ending has almost become legendary. So I had to check it out. And um, yeah. it is a it is a bit of a trip. Yeah. So you can uh, pick that up in 4K. I hear it's supposed to be a really good transfer, too. It's supposed to look really sharp. Thank you very much. I, that was not supposed to clip I wanted. There can be only one. <laughs> Matt, number one, I didn't know if it was ever going to happen, but it's happened. You can buy a steel book from Best Buy or a traditional release of it, but, and maybe it's because of that POS Bob Iger over at Disney, I don't know, because trying to refocus back to physical media, but Prey, the Predator film, is being released, and I'm very excited about this. I haven't picked it up yet because they want $32 for the regular 4K, and I'm sorry, folks, that ain't going to happen. But I will be getting this when it hits that magic price of like 15 bucks. I am in. It includes an alternate opening scene, a couple deleted scenes. And what I understand, too, it's going to come with the alternate, I think, is a Cherokee language version as well with the English subtitles. Nice. So I'm very excited about Prey. Will you be picking that one up? Oh, yeah. That's that's a buy for me. Uh, when it hits the right price point, but the price point's higher than it would be on a lot of other films. Yeah. And uh, I, I've read that there is some issues 
Well, not issues. Some people are not pleased with that new transfer of The Exorcist. Supposedly, it was Friedkin's final approval okay. for that version of it, though we did a, a different version approval for the Blu-ray that I have years ago for, I think, the 40th anniversary. But this 50th one, people are a little upset about it. So if you're looking to buy the new 4K Exorcist, do some research. See if you're... I think there's some color changes. Some color... I don't know if corrections is the right word, but he made some palette changes in the film again. It doesn't look as bad as that old DVD, which I think had this kind of green hue all over the whole thing. Right. But it's supposedly slightly different. So uh, you have been warned. As well as there may be an audio issue. I haven't nailed that down yet, so don't pay attention to that. You want to do your own research on that. Much like you did with... Uh, the vaccine and ivermectin. Do your own research. Uh, Matt, 4K. <laughs> uh, you know, you can get uh, free COVID tests again because the ones you have may be expiring. So right. make sure you go do that, folks. Yeah. Government has them for free again. 4K, other releases. Scream 1 through 3 is a box set as well as Scream 3 and a steelbook for Scream 3 if you're waiting to get that in 4K. The Mist is getting its 4K release as well as some new Disney 100th anniversary steelbooks. This time you have Lion King, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and Moana. I remember I didn't know how to say Moana for the longest time. I kept saying Moana. And then we're talking about this thing. Matt, your straight-to-DVD pick of the week. I'm going to go with Left Behind. Yes, they're still making these World at War. The third installment in this Christian science fiction series based on the books stars Louis Gossett Jr. And then, of course, uh, um, Gordon Gordon Curry. I thought our boy Chris Cameron, or Kirk Cameron was in this bad bear. Anyway, Gossett Jr., he's... he's uh, uh, Gerald Fitzhugh, President of the United States, UN Security General Nikolai Carpathia, played by Gordon Curry, has exceeded even further in his efforts to bring the world under a new religion-free ideology. Now he has poised on the break of a U.S. invasion, and Fitzhugh, in the interest of world peace, men, has rendered the country ill-prepared for the attack. The desperate president turns to the group of underground rebels known as the Tribulation Force, that really rolls off the tongue, mm. who recognize Carpathia's true identity and fight on the side of the Christian God. Oh, Kermin, Kirk Cameron got Chelsea Noble in there. What a surprise. Good for her. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? So I know not a lot of people have it, myself included, but the latest installment of Jan Wick is available on Stars for streaming. Some people must have Stars. I'm hoping it goes broader sooner, but it is out there. So if you haven't checked that out, or even if you have and you have the availability to see it, give it a watch because it's a pretty good one. Pretty good, pretty good. Have you watched the show at all, The Continental? I haven't, I haven't. I I meant to, but I, I just haven't gotten to it yet. I haven't seen it. I heard it's not terribly good. And your boy Mel Gibson shows up for some reason, so... I saw him in the promos. He's like uh, the Ian McShane character. Okay, great. Good to see he's getting work. Canceling <laughs> ruins your life, Matt. Matt, let's keep rolling then. It's been a few minutes. And let's talk about... What are we talking about? Ooh... The Hulu darling, apparently, at this moment. No one will save you. Man, what's all the dialogue there? Gee whiz. Yeah, somebody's. it sounds like belching to me. What's going on? 
Sorry, it's the beer. I haven't drank a lot in a long time. Matt, so we have No One Will Save You, uh, written and directed by Brian Duffield, who did a, a little movie called, um, what's it called? Combustion? Spontaneous Combustion? Hmm. Spontaneous, excuse me, That uh, from 2020 that people seem to really, really like. He also wrote Love and Monsters, which is a film I think we both enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And he's also one of the writers, uh, he wrote um, uh, Skull Island, which is, I guess, the animated Netflix show, which kind of continues the expansion of the Skull stuff. Though I think that Monarch show is going to show up on Apple TV soon as well. Regardless, No One Will Save You by uh, Brian Duffield featuring Caitlin Deaver. Deaver plays a young woman named Bryn. And there's a story about her, a history, a past that we get slowly developed and explored with us here. But... We're not so much focused on that, Matt, because she's in this kind of remote house in outside of this small town, and there be aliens, mm. and they're the Greys with the big old eyes, who I've always kind of felt were kind of dumb and boring. Though I haven't seen <laughs> um, what's the uh, Fire in the Sky with DB Sweeney. I've never seen it. Yeah, that's the abduction scene in that is horrifying. So that's something to check out if you think they're if they think they're not scary. I've never been a big fan of alien movies generally, like mm-hmm. these kind of alien invasion, home invasion type films. Okay. Uh, I've, I've Close Encounter, sure, but that's not exactly the same thing, right? So I run a little shaky with these things. So Matt, let me ask you, with Deaver going up against these little alien monsters and how things kind of end up working out, is No One Will Save You almost too clever by half with its almost entirely dialogue-free 90 minutes and kind of feeding us information about our life kind of one piece at a time? Is it? And then also, too, it's not just here for abduction. There's other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on No One Will Save You? Because I'll tell you, it seems to be popular with a lot of people, but if you look at the Google reviews, it's like at a 2.9, and some people really, really hate it. And I, really? Yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, I guess that stands to reason because I, you said mostly dialogue free. I, I, is there any dialogue in this yeah. film? There's I one must... line basically. Okay. There's, a, there's something says somebody when she picks up the phone and hangs it up, but it's okay. it, it's you can't really hear it. Okay. But there's one key dialogue line that she has, which kind of one of the things I love about the film is I don't know how to read it, right. which is great. Because so the one dialogue line, I don't know, should I say it? I don't want to ruin, I don't want to spoil it. I'm not going to say it. I don't want to spoil it for people. But when she comes kind of to terms with her, her youth and her past. Right. And she says something to this person. Right. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's her evolution point when she becomes to accept her world and her surroundings. And basically move on with her life where, where where i struggle with it is what's this the, the message of the film is it no one can no one not no one will save you, but nobody can save you but right. yourself you have right. to forgive yourself or or does she just decide to live in denial now because you know one of the big key things about the film is the birdhouses she has this whole little birdhouse village where she creates this kind of world inside her home where she can kind of live in and avoid the 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 disgust and the looks she gets from the town's folks whenever she has to go into town, right? And the way the film ends, it's almost a recreation of that. So now she has this town of people who... She's basically recreated her fake life. So now, has she really forgiven herself and moved on? 
or is she just built a larger facade yeah. to live in? Interesting I'm not sure. Because, yeah, and see, what's interesting about the film is that I... That's, that's, those, those are very valid interpretations, but I almost took it more literally that... And again, I, I hate to... I'm not trying to spoil it, but to be a part of the discussion, so maybe skip 30 seconds, but... The ending I almost interpreted is, you know, she's this force of resistance to what the aliens are trying to do. So they kind of probe her they because they're watching her as all this stuff unfolds, right? And yeah. they're seeing what she's thinking, essentially. And they give her, they realize what it is that she needs and they give it to her so that she will stop resisting be and just kind of accept her fate. And that's, it's more like a tragedy where she's not accepting it herself, but she's so desperate for, you know, just to, to, to get rid of those feelings and feel accepted that she'll accept, you know, this false reality that's being presented to her by the bad guys. Well, I think that falls in with my, my latter thought about it. Yeah. Mm. The, she, she helps create or accepts this alternate version of life um, because that's the world she wants to live in. But I don't, I don't think she gets, I don't know what to say, assimilated, Mm. I guess she doesn't seem to have the same. She doesn't suffer the same fate as everybody else, apparently, right? To me, or do you think she does? I think more they just see her, understand her, and accept her, and allow her to join them because of everything they've seen she's right. done. But see, I guess we don't know. We're never really revealed what the people who are infected or do have a parasite or a, you know what they're thinking. So for all we know that once you're kind of infected, that's kind of what takes over. You kind of live in your own head and you don't yeah. realize what you're doing. So you think she is infected? I do. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think she is because they give you that out. They give you that life. They, they show that to you. Mm. See, I thought it was all in her head that they basically said, okay, you know, we tried giving her X she didn't accept it, so let's give her why, and that's what gives her to kind of give in because it's exactly what she needs. That's interesting. I think you're entirely wrong about that, but I think that's an interesting <laughs> interpretation because why I think you're wrong is because Duffield goes out of his way in the end to show you mm. that the other people are now hosting whatever this thing is. Sure. But they don't. he doesn't do that at all with her. So I think the more powerful conclusion of the message is that she accepts this new life and wants to live in it even though she knows everything around her is no longer so she's like a, basically on a holodeck or something no no it's real everything is real okay but she once chooses to live in this new air quote society yeah because they will not they will no longer judge her they've accepted her so that's yeah. the world she wants to live in i think the fact that he shows us the world she would have had if the thing, if the parasite had bonded with her, however you want to say it. Yeah. Uh, then I think that's his, his card where he's showing you behind the curtain saying, see, this is what she, she chose not to. Yeah. So the aliens were so impressed. They said, all right, let's leave her be. Cause she looks like she's on board. Yeah. See, I, I always took it like, you know, she's, 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 you know, effing us all up. So we got to take this this wild card out of the thing. Now, why they didn't just kill her, but I guess maybe they're just interested in what she's got ticking. But I almost took it as this is all in her mind. 
she's choosing to live in it or she's accepting it because it's exactly what she wants. But once you kind of pull back the camera, you know, all the bad stuff, that's, that's reality. That's all the stuff that's really happening. And she's in a, in a fantasy and she's, she's just in the matrix. Choosing, yeah. And she's just choosing to stay in it. Yeah. No, I think that's wrong. <laughs> it's a well, hat on a, go ahead. It's a hat on a hat. Is that what you're about? To well, say? yeah, it's a hat on a hat, but it's a pair of hats. I'd wear proudly. Okay. Because it starts off as this kind of home invasion alien thriller. But when we introduce the parasite part of it, that opens up a whole new door, a whole new dimension of, of horror for me for this thing. And I think I really enjoyed that. It's yeah, not your typical um, alien induction kind of movie. And I like that. And I think this one nails it. I was really impressed with this. It's one of the big surprises, Matt, for me this year. And I love that we can have these different interpretations of what's happened. And it's the aliens being a host for something even weirder than themselves. It's, it's great. It's fun. I love it. And, I, and even then, then, too, is who's in control? Is it the aliens or is it, is it the, the, the parasitic thing? It's, yeah, yeah, so many interesting ideas and possibilities. And I had, a, I had a blast with it. I really liked it. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was a... I, at first, I was like, okay, interesting conceit. There's no dialogue. But I was on board with it. And I think... You know, I love the kind of idea the way in my mind, it's almost like what you're seeing of the greys. That's not really who they are. And Mm -hmm. the only like they're basically a society that's been taken over by the thing. Right. And now it's moving on to find something else to spread into. And it's basically like this virus that's just spreading through the galaxy. I thought it was a cool idea. Um and I think it's all pretty effective. It's per, it's very entertaining. I was excited to see Caitlin Deaver. I like her. She's you know entertaining to watch. So, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by Hulu. So good on you, Hulu. Don't yeah. listen to the haters. It's not a two point nine film. That's oh, for sure. God, not at all, man. So it's the thing I wanted to mention too that I realized watching this that I am a big fan of threatening music that really swells to a crescendo. With a really ominous title card and then a very peaceful opening. Mm. <laughs> you know, just something about that that I really like. And this film has that as well. So, Matt, I'm, I'm giving No One Will Save You an A. Are you? Wow, yeah. an A. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my favorites I, of the year, I think. I'm really okay. impressed with it. I think I'll have to see how it holds up in repeat viewing, but I'm giving it a solid B+. Okay. That's an interesting idea. I mean, Deaver, too, like you said, carries this whole thing. Because, like you said, there's no doubt. And I don't think I even realized it until about half an hour in mm-hmm. that no one has really said a word for the most part. So it's all in the strength of Deaver's performance and some of the creepiest moments I've seen in a film in a while. When that one alien stalking is kind of coming up behind her when mm-hmm. she's in the hallway and it's a silhouette and it does a little arms thing behind. Not the one that's in the hall, not the first one, but the. There's another one where she just runs into the hall room from, from a hall. The little one? Yeah. Yeah. That, I got like chills from it. That's how effective it was. So, excellent, excellent stuff. I got to check out Spontaneous now because I, I love this. If you've seen No One Will Save You, it's currently streaming on Hulu. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. 2.9, folks, you people are crazy. All right. I don't know what you're looking for in a sci fi kind of horror film. If this doesn't uh, tickle your funny bone, your, your your area, whatever it is, there's, there's something going on. I, I don't get you. I don't get you. Matt, let's roll up the big show. Call it a day and spend a few minutes talking about our five favorite live albums.
write that? Christ, it sounds like the theme from Godfather 2. Okay. Listen, if you count really extra fantastic, maybe we can get to that lame piece of music that starts this song, okay? Did he start the song yet? Okay, so, so just count with so much energy that it will get us through those next two bars. Are you ready? You gotta really blow the house down. Harry, don't mess it up. So Matt, that is the opening of uh, Harry Chapin's Greatest Stories Live. Uh, one of my favorite live albums. My mom was a huge Harry Chapin fan when I was a kid, so we used to listen to it all the time. And uh, great album, As Dreams Go By. That's the opening of that. It's one of my favorite Harry Chapin songs, too. You a fan of Harry Chapin? You ever listen to the uh, the guy? I I've, I think I've listened to like his kind of hit songs. Or Taxi. Most and, yeah, but yeah. I've, I'm not like well-versed on the catalog of Henry Chapin. Fair enough. Harry Chapin. Harry, excuse Henry me. Henry Chapin. Chapin. Well, his name probably is really Henry, because isn't Harry another version of, of Henry? No, isn't Harry Her- uh, Harold? Harold? Is you Hank, the, is Hank the, another version of Henry? Oh my is that what God. I'm thinking of? Is really? Are we gonna, we're going to do it. I- we're gonna do I like how we're going show. on all these tangents on this show, which I'm really enjoying. Especially since, Okay, excuse me. You really enjoy what? Because why? Because why? Cause don't make me do it. it. I got the button right here. I will play it if you don't <laughs> get into... All right. So what's your fifth favorite uh, live <laughs> album, Chris? <laughs> so this is going to sound weird. All right. No, it's just... Got... And I did not do the best, Matt. I did my favorites. All right, right? my favorites. Yeah. Yep. Now I would have gone off of play counts on my uh, iTunes media, but unfortunately, my my uh, computer got wiped out a while ago, so I had to rebuild all my playlists. So all my numbers are gone. Hmm. But I know I listened to this one a lot. This is a band I was never. I wasn't really a big fan of. That a dear friend of mine, Patience in high school, introduced me to them. She gave me the CD and she says, "You have to listen to it. This is so much fun." And I listened to it. I've probably listened to this thing a hundred times, and I don't know what it is. It's got a rollicking kind of fun, hanging out on a summer night in the backyard, kind of, you know, kicking back and enjoying yourself. And it's the Bare Naked Ladies rock spectacle. Interesting. In fact, you were talking about preferring live versions. I I basically only listen to this album of theirs, mm-hmm. and, then I, I, and then I'll listen to Stunt, I think, once in a while. But if I listen to any B&L, as the kids call it, it's going to be <laughs> rock spectacle. It is such a great album. So it's, like I said, the the vibe, the feel of it, it's just a lot of fun and with some great tunes on it. So Rock Spectacle is my five. I don't think there's any kids that are listening to B&L, as the case may be. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. But you 90s no. kids out there, I see you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever listened to a single Bare Naked Ladies album in my entire really? life. Yeah, it's done no. pretty good. All right. All right, so my number five then is a personal choice. Um it's not a particularly popular band, but a strum and drum duo called the Japan Droids, which I got into with their... That's not a real uh, band. It is. It's a made-up band. No, that is. It is. Uh, when they released their... I think I was late to the party, and I when they released Celebration Rock, um, I think in 2018, I think, they were, you know, just this combination of energy and... Um, big hooks and pop song like pop rock songs i'm a big sucker for power chords and power pop and all that kind of stuff so it had the the propulsiveness of it and they their live album uh called massey fucking hall is Whoa. is yeah you said i could swear at the beginning of this episode 
is just basically a you know blistering distillation of everything that's fun about them and they've it's later on towards the the release of their latest album and you know they've gotten better as a band as a performing duo and it's just a hell of a lot of fun that wow blistering distillation i like that a lot <laughs> i'm not familiar with them at all so i'll have to i'll have to pop them in the old apple music and give them a spin my four is, I guess, I try and avoid cliches, but I don't know there's a way to do it. And it's Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads live album. Okay. I think if you're if you're not really a fan of them or you're only with their hits, I would almost tell you to start with this. This is your 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 primer. I like to say primer, but I guess mm. it's primer technically. Okay. For uh, Talking Heads, because it has a bunch of their hits on it. And these almost superior live versions of some of these songs as well, like we talked about during uh, that conversation. So, yeah, but Stop Making Sense is my number four. You, you don't even need the visuals, though it's an insane experience. But just the album itself, the music itself, is exhilarating and fun to listen to. Mm. So, speaking of cliches, now this is my my sad boy loss in his feelings pick. Um, okay. So, a legendary concert um, that took place, a reuniting of a duo folk duo from the 60s and 70s long after they had a bitter breakup they hold a concert in central park in front of 500,000 people in i guess late 70s early 80s and it's simon and garfunkel's the concert in central park unfortunately hard to find on streaming services hmm. but if you can get your hands on it it is a fantastic set where they still have they play some of the best versions of, of the songs that they have that some of them I even prefer to, as Chris said, the live version, cause it's the first time I heard them and what I'm used to hearing, but the crowd, the kind of banter where they're friends, but then there's also that little undercurrent of where they're like seconds away from getting into a fight on stage, like through the whole thing is it's just really, it's really kind of a fascinating look on these two musical forces that were great together but they just can't they just can't stand each other anymore so it's it's a it's a it's a i don't know if you're into the folk rock uh 70s singer songwriter stuff it's it's something you really owe yourself to check out yeah i them i never got into either i have the greatest hits and that's it and i don't think i i rarely ever listen to it mm. mrs first run is a big fan of them though okay but uh yeah no i just never yeah. So my number three, then, is it's not a cliche in regards to classic rock albums. It's a cliche in regards to growing up as a kid in the 90s. I had a chance to go to this tour, but I didn't have the money, and I didn't do it. And it's one of my great regrets, because this band has not toured since. And that is Pink Floyd, The Pulse album, which they played hits from the old stuff and they played some stuff from a material after reason but this was a division bell album and they played like think five or six songs from that but the big hook on that was they played the they played uh dark side of the moon in its entirety in the second half and i remember being just so excited about that hearing that and it goes from there and then you get wish you were here comfortably numb and they close out the show with run like hell and it was re-released uh, a little while ago, I think a couple, a few years ago. One of these days was included in it as well. It wasn't in the original release, but they did like a remaster, re-expanded re-exp- version. They finally included it. But uh, I still love Division Bell to this day. It's not, listen, it's not a great Pink Floyd album. And it's, it's, not, it's not even really a Pink Floyd album, right? But it's got some really good songs on it, I think. And I think a lot of it's just part of my youth. But I still listen to Pulse probably at least once or twice a year. 
at least. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. It just reminds me of a lot of stuff in my youth, and I just really enjoy. It. And I still have my uh, my original Pulse CD, Matt, that has the blinking red light. I don't know if you had Pulse or not on CD. Mm-mm, I don't. But I don't. yeah, the, you just you have a little ba- a little double A battery in there, uh, and then it has a little light that just blinks because yeah, you know, Pulse <laughs> got a little Pink Floyd. Man. There you go. So that's my three. All right. So you want the polar opposite of Pink <laughs> Floyd for my number three. It was we were listening to that original clip. The guy is talking about counting down appropriately, mm-hmm. and he doesn't. He should have known that the right way to say it is one, two, three, four, and that is the way the Ramones count off their twenty-eight tracks on "It's Alive," mm-hmm. named after both named after the line uh, from Frankenstein as well as the movie of the same name, and it's really the Ramones at their best. It's the last time all of the original members were together, at least on a recording. And oh, I didn't know that. It's, uh, yeah, it's, if you like punk rock, if you like, you know, that kind of music like I do, I love punk rock. It was a transformative experience for me listening, discovering that in my youth. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of great punk albums out there. There's plenty out there from like Iggy and the Stooges that you should check out. But mm. this one, I think, is the distillation of what it, that 70s punk rock spirit and energy is all about yeah metallic ko from the stooges is an insane almost otherworldly nightmare experience of a Mm -hmm. concert playing a bunch of uh non-album tracks with the absolute worst sound quality you could possibly imagine like you're listening to it through a tin can in a room on the other side of the country type of thing with you know with the can against the glass against the wall it's really that bad but the, the the ferociousness and the energy of this it's still there. Yeah. Um, and it's an honorable mention for me, though. It's not on my list. But uh, my number two, then, it's a band I didn't discover until I saw the film once. And I became obsessed with the soundtrack and obsessed with Glenn Hansard. And then I discovered the Frames. And then from there, I got the Frames live album set list. And from start to finish, you are just wrapped up in the... The, uh, uh, what do you call it? The presence, the charisma of Glenn Hansard and his just over, not over the top in a bad way, but just over, I've never heard anybody sing with the emotion that Glenn Hansard does. And it just swallows you whole. And uh, you just become enraptured by it. And that album is fantastic. It gives you a real feel for what the band sounds like live. Their studio albums are great, but they are even better live right and that's always kind of been the hallmark of a good band right mm-hmm. is how do they sound live though in fact that's the name of my mix on my itunes is yeah but how do they sound live which is, <laughs> nice. is all my favorite live songs nice nice and uh i would i'd point out too if you want to just sample them uh revelate which is the opening track and santa maria and Fitzcarraldo. those three there's 13 songs on it but start with those three and you know throw in what happens in the heart just stops and you will be absolutely hooked so um, that's my two. The frames is set list. All right. So my number two, again, which is interesting, I think with the exception of Japan droids, all of my choices were, well, and except for, and possibly my number one, but I was still pretty young. I couldn't, I can't see any, I was never able to see any of these bands because they had long since broken up at that point. But my number, my number two then is uh, a live album from a Detroit, Michigan band that the world was just not ready to hear 
about them kicking out the jams, motherfucker, and the MC5s, the kick out the jams of their two-night show um, on Devil's Night and Halloween in Detroit in 1969. It's it's one of those, those albums that lays the foundation for an entire subgenre of rock it's proto-punk it's basically up there with the kinks it's kind of part of the urtext of what became that entire sound going forward it's got such a sloppy raw energy but you can just tell man they are having a great damn time while they're playing these songs and they're just so raw they sound exactly as fresh today as they did back then nice good i'm happy for you I don't think I've ever heard it. So <laughs> you haven't you haven't listened to the MC5? Oh man, you gotta no. check that out. Yeah, I gotta get on that. So Matt, I guess it's it, it was inevitable. My number one. Everybody, this has been one of the greatest tours of our life. We really. I, I first, I'd like to thank the band. I'd like to thank our road crew, and I'd like to thank our lighting people. Uh, of all the shows on this tour. This, this particular show will remain with us the longest because not only, is it, not only is it the last show of the tour, but it's the last show that we'll ever do. Thank you. That's right, folks. It's Ziggy Stardust, the motion picture, the uh, soundtrack there, the, the concert film that David Bowie did, his last performance as Ziggy Stardust. And... There was a crap release of it, like the vinyl version, and then the prior CD, the original CD, the Ryko version. It always kind of sounded really tinny and a little bit and a little hollow. And then uh, Tony Visconti did a remaster of it in 2003 for the 30th anniversary, and it sounded much better. And it restored the running order, and uh, I think added a couple songs too. But it wasn't until the 50th anniversary mix and release that came out this year where they restored the two songs that had been cut. The Gene Genie Love Me Do medley that he did, and then Round and Round, both with Jeff Beck. So I guess originally Beck came out in the encore, played a few songs, but he was either... Uh, it's, it's, it's unclear, but supposedly he was just unhappy with his performance, so he asked him to be removed, and they were. But now they're back. The uh, Once Jeff Beck passed, his family gave him their blessing. So you can do the 50th anniversary, you can buy the full version of the last show. And it's... It's really Bowie at the height of his powers. I mean, they never sounded raw, never sounded with more energy and just dangerous, really, as he did here. And that really has to do a lot with um, Ronson's guitar work as well. So it's, yeah, the crowning achievement of Ziggy Stardust is this live album, I think. And um, it just captures the raw energy and uh, animalistic nature of that whole character and that whole album run of those three albums. Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, and then I can, for a lesser extent, pinups. So that's my one, Matt. And you could also, the Santa Monica 72 show, which is off of the same tour, is what some people can think is considered better. It's not as whole. It doesn't have the complete show, I don't believe. But it sounded better for the longest time because it was a, uh, a radio broadcast. They actually captured the whole audio from the soundboard. But uh, still, that's my one. You know, I'm frankly shocked. I'm shocked that Live at Wembley 86 did not make it onto your list. Mm-hmm. It was in my it was my five for a long time, mm-hmm. but as I've grown older and listened to it, because that Queen live at Wembley '86 was a big was a seminal moment for me for Queen too. I listened to that thing all the time. But when I look back at it now, it's really good. 
I don't care for the medley of the 50s and 60s songs, like Tutti mm-hmm. Fruity mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't listen to it that much anymore is what it is. It's okay. When I listen to Queen, I go to the studio stuff. Right. The The live stuff, I I think maybe I just wore it out. I think I think that's what I did to myself is I just played it so much in my teens, into my early 20s. Yeah. That I just, it's one of those things that you just... I can't listen to it almost anymore. I'm, it'd sure be great, and I should probably listen to it this weekend and see if it has the same impact on me it used to back in the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, as a sh- it's the set list is is solid too, but I think it doesn't have a lot of this. It doesn't have all my favorite songs. That's one of the things I noticed about me with my Queen fandom is I n- really never listen to the hits anymore. Really, I always go deeper cuts uh more album tracks because i think i played out classic queen and queen's greatest hits so much growing up that i tend to appreciate the deeper cuts than i do the the big hits at this point i'm the same with bowie too right well makes sense it happens so there you go all right well my number one is is a an extreme cliche but i don't care it's the right answer as a the youngest edge of gen x slash beginning edge of millennials uh this album regardless of what you think of the band uh, people who hate the band love this album and it's um nirvana's live in new york unplugged album if you it's almost become mythic in the story around it because it's really one of the last things they recorded as a band before kurt cobain's suicide and they as Chris was even just saying, they play almost zero hits. They play one song that had a single, all kind of deep cuts on their albums, plus a ton of covers of some of which are fantastic. Their version of man who sold the world is, is great as well as, uh, you know, the lead belly cover that closes out the album, but it's kind of like this nineties kid, right? You know, nineties teen rite of passage thing that you, it's just kind of, become its own legend and I, I unfortunately for me it was it's by far my favorite uh live album yeah i've never really listened to nirvana in any capacity mm. i have the greatest hits that i've played a couple times but that's sure. it i need to i think really dive in. i think i had just had such a it was so big yeah. at that time it was one of those things where it was just too big i just yeah. did, i couldn't get into it because it was everywhere right I would say for anybody who's never listened to it before, never mind. Every track is great. Like, or at least it's good. Like it doesn't have a weak track on it. So you can just listen to it. It's one of the most complete albums I've ever heard. Same thing with unplugged. Like their other albums can be really hit and miss. Like, you know, there's some really good stuff and then there's some stuff that people don't care for. You may not care for, but those two albums I think are just kind of perfect distillations of what they, what they, why they were so popular. I gotta check that out. All right, any honorable mentions, Matt? Yeah. So weirdly, Daft Punk's "It's Alive" album or "Alive" uh-huh. uh, 2007 is fantastic. Like you would think, kind of going back to our studio track, that the fact that it's there's no live instruments, there's no singers or anything like that, but the way they kind of meld everything together, the way they mix in like on top of each other, their 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 you know hits and their different songs, it's it's just something to listen to. It's just something that you just kind of put on the background and get washed into. Um, otherwise, I, I don't have anything that I 
really, really love. Um, I wish... I almost wish I've really gotten into New Order. I really loved mm. New Order, and I really have gotten back into them again. And I've been listening to their live stuff, and it's pretty weak. I wish there was some better stuff. So if anybody knows a really good New Order live band, please email us because I kind of want to kind of want to take a listen. Nice. Uh, I would say uh, Live Monsters, Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Their live album is actually really good, mm. and they have a fantastic cover of Led Zeppelin's Tangerine on it. Mm. If you're a fan of that song, uh, of course, Johnny Cash is live at Folsom Prison. I think the one good Led Zeppelin live album, How the West Was Won, which is more mm. of like a selection of you know live performances from different tours. Uh, Clash, uh, From Here to Eternity, is solid. Um, Dave Matthews Band, Live at Red Rocks. I actually like that album a lot. Uh, a couple other Bowie albums, Reality Tour, which I think it's the most comprehensive. It's the last tour he did. And the song selection is so wide and varied, it's really fun to listen to. And then uh, Stage, because that's the uh, Berlin period, and I love Low Heroes and uh, Lodger. Uh, David Burns live, lo- excuse me, live from Austin, Texas, which he's touring that Look Into the Eyeball album I talked about earlier, and has a cover of I Want to Dance with Somebody, the Whitney Houston song mm. that I absolutely adore. The Flaming Lips is Soft Bulletin live at Red Rocks, which I think is a more of a recent one, but I really enjoy that one. Individually, Frank Sinatra's and the Rat Pack's Live at the Sands live albums, too, I'm a big fan of. Particularly, too, when Sinatra starts riffing and talking about the Rat Pack, or when it's a Rat Pack one, when they kind of take jabs at each other. It's always a lot of fun. You heard a clip from Harry Chapin. You ever listen to the Black Crows and Jimmy Page album, Live at the Greek? No, it is a lot of fun. Interesting. Yeah, they basically tear through a bunch of Led Zeppelin songs, and then they do some Black Crow songs, too. But it's a, it's a great listen. Uh, Marvin Gaye, Live at the Kennedy Center, which was included on the What's Going On Deluxe Edition as a bonus disc. The Pixies, Death to the Pixies, which was uh, on the Greatest Hits double disc from um, 4AD. I think it's yeah. long out of print now. Yeah. That was the first Pixies thing I ever heard was that live, was that Greatest Hits album and that live disc. And I think it's a really does a great job of capturing their live sound, at least back when they were you know, at the height the of their Pixies. powers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Social Distortions, Live at the Roxy is a great one. And then, like I said, Queen, Live at Wembley. And then one I figured out that I could put together, finally... Pink Floyd's legendary Wembley show from, I think, 1974 has never been officially released in its entirety. They put it out as part of the 50th anniversary of Dark Side, but they just have the Dark Side of the Moon part. The show opens with, um, I think it opens with Shine On You Crazy Diamond, because it's right right around, right after um, Wish You Were Here had come out, or is right about to come out. And then it goes into, I think, Raving and Drooling, and then I'm blanking on the name of the other one, which are the written during that session, during the Wish You Were Here album sessions, but ended up being fully developed and changed and included on animals. So it's actually, it's dogs, and I think it's pigs, I believe. I, I'm blanking at the moment. But you get to see the original versions of that. So it goes Sonic Crazy Diamond, the two animal songs, and then I think it goes into Dark Side of the Moon. And plays it in its entirety and closes with echoes. Interesting. Now you can get you can it's available. You can buy all of them now or get all of them and, and put a playlist together of the entire show. Okay. So that's what I did. That's what I have in my iTunes. Is the whole show is put together there because of that. So I just want you to know, folks, you can do that now. The whole show is available, just not as one single purchase. And that's it. What's your uh, favorite live album? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, what should we be? What are we talking about next week? So we're going to check out 
Gareth Evans, Gareth Edwards, Evans. I'm sorry, guy. I don't. I, I. It's late. The the yeah, creator, him and Garth. We always mix them up. Yeah. Gareth and Garth. The creator, which is I'm actually getting more and more optimistic for because I've seen some good reviews mm-hmm. on Letterboxd and other places. So maybe it's actually going to be a decent sci-fi film. And then the great question: Why we do this to ourselves? We're also going to see Saw X, which I am super excited for. <laughs> see, hopefully, yeah. Oh boy, good times. I guess this one is this one takes place in the past, so they're bringing back oh. they're able to bring back Tobin Bell. This is like a an offshoot of something in the middle of the series. I don't whatever. I just really hope, fingers crossed, it has that puke green uh, hue across the whole thing, like most of the one do. can dream. One can dream. In the meantime, check us out at thefirstrun.com. You can find archives of all the old shows. Um, what else? There's a report card and a bunch of other stuff on there. Head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a review, it help other people find the show. I go to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Matt, and I think that's it. So we're going to go ahead, take an extended break. Uh, we love you very much. Take care of yourselves. And stay tuned for this little bit of classic R&D. Our next cult video is also a long-playing concert film. It's celebrating its second year of weekend shows in many theaters around the country. Now it's on videotape. The film is Stop Making Sense, and it features the music of David Byrne and the Talking Heads. But credit for the success of this movie and its cult video status must be shared, I think, by the musicians with the film's director, Jonathan Demme, who has the good sense to place his camera right up on stage with David Byrne and his crew and simply let them perform with all the joy they possess, as in this great musical number. It's burning down the house, one of the best numbers in the film. What's so appealing here, as opposed to other rock concert films, is that David Byrne and the Talking Heads seem to respect their audience and their music. They don't come across as a typically angry and aloof set of musicians. Again, this is a better music video than anything you can find on MTV, so why not rent it? I love the way they love their music. You know, one of the things I love about this film is the incredible, boundless physical energy of David Byrne. He runs around the stage. It must be five miles during this film. Mm-hmm. This is like uh, the Olympiad meets rock music. And the physical energy combined with the musical energy makes this whole film so upbeat and so vivifying that that's one of the reasons I really well, enjoyed this, it. I, I, you pick on the word upbeat. I, mean, I see a lot of rock concert film footage and it looks like the audience is being oppressed. Like yeah. me or I'll throw my guitar in your face. Mm-hmm. These guys are celebrating their music and I respect yeah, them. A lot of it. rock concerts are like Nazi rallies. This yeah. one is more like uh, up with music. Nazi rallies. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Raj.